0: Welcome to this podcast from St. Michael and All Angels Episcopal Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope you consider hitting like or subscribe. We hope you will share this audio with your friends and neighbors. Help others know about our inclusive, theologically progressive community of faith. If you'd like to support our ministries, you can make a gift at stmichaelsabq.org. In the name of our loving, life-giving, liberating God, amen. Please be seated. Well... Episcopalians aren't quite sure what to call this last Sunday before Advent. Uh, Our our cousins in the church, a bunch of us have spent time with cousins, right, lately, but the Presbyterians, the UCC, the Catholics, they all call this a feast day, and we Episcopalians aren't quite so sure. Uh, It's called the Feast of Christ the King, And when I started talking about that at staff meeting, Mandy and JP remind me it's not in the Episcopal calendar. I'll say more about that. Uh, But give me a moment to get there. Uh, This this feast day, if it's a feast day, uh, is an interesting day to have land this Sunday after Thanksgiving. And it's an interesting question. We're not quite sure. I, since we're not quite sure, decided that we could take the title from the Moravians. Uh, And so on the cover of your bulletin, it says, The Reign of Christ. The Reign of Christ. And the nuance, I'd say, is important. Because this day, we celebrate a theology. And there aren't that many Sundays when we celebrate a theology. Uh, The only other one I can think of, really is the first Sunday of this season that we're finishing up today, this long season after Pentecost, because that first Sunday after Pentecost is Trinity Sunday. And so we kind of have bookends these days, maybe. Uh, We have Trinity Sunday on the front end and the reign of Christ or Christ the King on the end of the season. But dedicating this last Sunday to the reign of Christ, I like doing. And, and I think it's important because it asks us to end our year reading Matthew's gospel with the central teaching of Jesus. The Salvadoran theologian John Sabrino he points to the primacy of the kingdom for Jesus. In fact, Sabrino says that Christians would do better to emphasize the kingdom more. The liberation theologian says that Christians have made the cross into our primary teaching, and in doing so, we have inverted our theology. Jesus didn't preach the cross. Jesus preached the kingdom. The cross is important, yes. The cross is necessary, but it isn't the center of Jesus' teaching. The cross is a step on the road toward the kingdom. And a, Don't miss the significance here. Sabrino is saying that we have over-individualized our faith. We have made salvation into some kind of solo project when it isn't. The kingdom of God is a theology that says that we are in this together. Jesus comes to bring all of us, all of us, all of creation somewhere new. That's what salvation means. We can live with freedom, with hope, Sabrino says, in the midst of history, because the dominations and powers have been vanquished. So before we go much further, let's unpack this term, kingdom. Will Gaffney, an Episcopal priest and a black womanist theologian, she writes that we in the Western Church have a difficult time understanding concepts of government from ancient Israel-Palestine. Our understanding of what a king looks like is shaped by white, masculine, Eurocentric structures of dominance, and we can't really conceive of the tribal, familial, and interdependent reality of royalty in the ancient Near East. Our sense of leadership is still frustratingly connected to gender and power. So maybe at St. Michael's, if we're naming the feast day, maybe in the future we should just celebrate the the feast of Christ the Queen. (laughs) You think I jest. But today we might translate Jesus's central image, Jesus's vision, a little bit differently. We might say the reign of God or God's commonwealth. And both of those I like because it gets us past the gender and monarchical understandings but I don't have a strong dislike of kingdom. Jesus used the language of his day, and he used it subversively. To say the kingdom is coming is political for Jesus. It's a protest of the kingdom of this world as it exists. I don't have a strong dislike of kingdom, because when Jesus used the word kingdom, he used it specifically. He wanted to overturn his hearer's understanding of what a kingdom looks like. Jesus was proposing a different vision for how we might relate to one another, how we might relate to the earth, how we might live and thrive. The way of Jesus, this way we follow, it has a destination. All our prayer, all our action for justice is directional. It points us toward the reign of God. And the rain is not just about life after death. And sometimes Jesus uses the phrase, the kingdom of heaven. And we can get confused by this idea. When Christ speaks of a kingdom, even when he says heavenly kingdom, he's speaking primarily about life here on earth. And we live in a tension between the already and the not yet. We live in a tension between the world as it is and the world as it should be. We are able to glimpse our destination, to approach it, even while we await the final arrival. But Jesus was leading his followers somewhere, and while the road necessitated carrying crosses, Calvary was not the goal. The kingdom takes us further out beyond the cross. We are, in the end, an Easter people. Our faith is in the resurrection. The destination Jesus promised was worth worth bearing the pain and the sadness that the world can bring. Liberation theologians say, you have to know, suffering is not the end. Sorrow is not the end. The ultimate destination of Jesus, the ultimate point, was not to die for our sins, but to lead us to a kingdom out beyond the suffering. Again and again, throughout this year, reading Matthew's Gospel, we have heard Jesus say, The kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like a pearl of great price, worth selling all you have to own. The reign of God is like finding a valuable coin you had lost. The commonwealth of God is like a shepherd who recklessly searches for her lost sheep. God's reign is a place where banquets are held and the lost, the least, the left out are invited. God's reign is a place where workers receive the wages that they need. You know you've reached the reign of God when you don't worry so much about money because those who have in abundance are able to share with those who don't have enough. The kingdom of God is like yeast growing quietly, transforming us. The kingdom of God may appear tiny at first, but when we can muster faith, we can see a tree of hope bursting with life abundant. Jesus said, Follow me. We're headed to another country. We're walking there together. And today is the feast where we celebrate the very center of Jesus' teaching. The center of Jesus' teaching is hope, is justice. You catch that line in Ezekiel where God says, I will feed them with justice. The center of the teaching is a destination, the reign of Christ, the reign of God. The reign of God does not arrive by violence, as Cyril of Alexandria told us, This reign is not won by military might, not by force, but quite the opposite. God's reign is inaugurated by the act of self-offering love. The cross is not the destination, but the doorway. You can't sneak your way into the kingdom of God. You can't buy your way in either. You won't arrive by knowing some password, by having the right answer. You won't make it to the kingdom by sheer force of will and persistence. The way to the kingdom is the way of the king, the downward path of loving your neighbor. Today we hear the story of the judgment of the nations, and Jesus astounds his hearers. He talks about people being separated, sheep and goats, and now I know we're in the North Valley of Albuquerque, and we're likely to have some goat apologists. (laughs) My family this week uh, was visiting from out of town, and we got outside of Bookworks on Rio Grande, and somebody was walking goats on a leash, (laughs) and there were many pictures. But to be clear, I don't think that Jesus is being literal about sheep and goats, heaven or hell. Like in many of the parables, these are figures of speech. What then is Jesus saying? If he's not teaching us how to spot the infidels, if Jesus doesn't want us to have a tool to judge our neighbors, if religion isn't about judgment, then what is it about? Jesus said, if you are looking for me, if you're looking for the king who will lead you to the kingdom, you will find me when you feed the hungry, when you clothe the naked, when you welcome the stranger, One of the better translations of stranger is immigrant. When you visit the imprisoned, when you take care of the least of these, the lowest of the low, who are my siblings, members of my family, you care for me. If you're looking for the way to the promised kingdom of God, start by walking down. Here in the last teaching. When the king sits on the throne, he says, Don't be distracted by displays of wealth or power. The one who reigns in the reign of love is found among the hungry, among those without enough shelter, among those who are in prison. The judgment of Jesus isn't about appearing like you have it all together. The judgment of Jesus isn't about individual-strength obedience to some code or religious law. The judgment of Jesus isn't about nationality, it isn't about language, it isn't about sex. No, it is always, always about loving those the world treats as unlovable and loving practically. The Feast of Christ the King was first proclaimed less than a hundred years ago by Pope Pius XI. The pope declared the feast, at least in part, because he was watching nationalism in a rising tide around him. Now, I may not totally agree with Pius. You'd be surprised, an Episcopal priest not agreeing with a pope. He thought the remedy was to put the church in charge. I don't think that's a great idea. But I think he had something with this feast. Having just survived World War I, Pius could see the direction that Europe was heading again. As Pope, he criticized both Hitler and Mussolini. And he instituted the Feast of Christ the King, at least in part, to remind his neighbors that they were not Germans first. They were not Italians first. As Christians, our first citizenship Our first loyalty belongs to Christ's kingdom of love. Now Episcopalians have never formally put the feast on our calendar. And we may have a difficult time with this feast because our church has nationalistic roots. We've not formally added the date to the calendar, though informally we did change the collect. We prayed roughly the same prayer that they're praying in Catholic churches today and and we changed the readings to fit the feast we have a difficult time probably because we're descended from an established church and we americans left the establishment behind only reluctantly episcopalians are the only denomination bold enough to have built a national cathedral we've held a close relationship historically with power with the state And John Sobrino, the liberation theologian, says we need to learn to read the gospel from the side of the victims. We need to understand that Jesus came not to bless the powerful. Jesus' promise is for the poor, the hungry, the prisoner, the sick, those on the underside of relationships of power. Jesus promised we were heading to a place where age, money, disability, sexuality, immigration status, and language do not determine your place in society. Jesus invited us again and again to question our loyalties. Don't get too comfortable holding that blue passport. Don't put too much faith in human governments, no matter which party is in charge. Remember, your citizenship first belongs to the reign of God. Christians are always a people on the road to a new kingdom. So whether we call today the Feast of the Reign of Christ, the Feast of Christ the King, or the Feast of Christ the Queen, today is a day to celebrate hope and imagination. I'll leave you with one of my favorite theologians, Willie Jennings, he likes to point out that much of the failure of Christianity is a failure of imagination. Jesus taught in parables because he wanted folks to lean into their God-given capacity to imagine, to imagine new worlds and to enact them. And Christianity has failed, especially when we have failed to imagine a different outcome than the present. We have in the church, according to Jennings, allowed our imaginations to be corrupted too often by the old games of power and hierarchy. But Willie Jennings laughs and says, Jesus still has something to offer. A theology centered on the kingdom of God can be a lens through which we look at our world. At the present day, injustices and instances of suffering Jesus wants to help us imagine another world. Jesus wants us to imagine what it could be like to live in God's reign. Now I know a fair number of those of you at St. Michael's consider yourselves contemplatives. And the imagination is sometimes sidelined in contemplative prayer. And sometimes contemplative practices ask us to disengage our minds, to disengage our imaginations, Don't discount imagination when it draws you toward God's reign of love. Next week, we begin a season of hope, a season of waiting and watching for Christ. Advent is a time of preparation, and I would invite you to continue to use your imagination. How can our world be a little bit more like the reign of God? How can our city be a little bit more like Christ's commonwealth? how can our church even more reflect just a little bit more the surprising reign of God where all the sheep are gathered, where all the wrong people are invited to the table? What will you imagine? How will you put imaginative love into action? Happy feast of the reign of Christ. Amen.